Hello again, everybody, and welcome again to Nerd of the Third Power, your one-stop shop for all things nerdy and awesome. I'm your host and master of ceremonies, Dr. Gonzo. Cat is out on assignment in Madagascar, and uh, the rest of our correspondence corner seems to have uh, all caught the lurgy. So uh, it's just me and Brian today. So, Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing all right this time around. I was a little tired for a while. Uh, I had my own sort of work experience going on that could have drained a lot of my energy, but I'm here now for you. <laughs> you you had, a, had a bit of a death march there, huh? It wasn't necessarily more of a death march. It was more along the lines of, hey, there's a lot of stuff going on. Brian, what? <laughs> okay all right so yeah it's just the two of us today and uh we are gonna be discussing uh batman v superman dawn of justice probably the most controversial uh geek movie uh to come out so far this year uh been a lot of uh, argument back and forth uh before the film's release and uh since so uh, we're gonna be taking a look at the film and uh, seeing if it is a is a, a shining ray of hope in a in a dreary world or if it's you know just a dud. But of course there is procedure to follow. So we're gonna begin our show as always with Ask a Geek, and we got some questions here. First one here comes from Mark from the email, and it is for Brian. And he asks, with the reveal of Spider-Man's costume in Civil War, what on-screen Spider-Man costume so far is your favorite? I still want to go with uh, Spider the Sam Raimi Spider-Man 2 Spider-Man costume because uh, it just looked great on screen. This one looks the closest to the comic book, though. The, at least in the head and the torso area. The arms and legs are a little sporty, and so I need to see it more in action before I can say, yes, this is absolutely my favorite one. But I really do like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man ones uh, the best so far. They were great. I didn't like Amazing Spider-Man 1s, because I called the giant tongue costume. We had just the big red tongue in front of his suit, on the suit. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 actually was an improvement over that. They actually kind of gave, gave him the belt and he looked, looked more streamlined. But this one, everyone's sort of focusing on the Spider-Man eyes, because they now have the emoji eyes that they have in the comics. So I want to see how that works out, because it seemed to work out okay for Deadpool. So I might as well try it in Civil War. You know, uh, something that uh, kind of occurred to me, uh, since this is the Civil War line, do you think that the, the suit that he has in the film is going to have all the nifty little gadgets that uh, the suit Spider-Man had in the comics during Civil War had? Like the, the robotic arms and being able to take a bullet? The Iron Spidey suit? God, I hope not. Um, I, th- I don't know if I'm in the minority of this one, but I did not like how that suit looked. It... It didn't look like Spider-Man, you know? It, well, it, but I mean, honestly, now I know it says, like, well, this is an Iron Man suit just dressed for Spider-Man. I was like, okay, it makes sense, but it's still, like, the gold and the red and the... I have robotic arms now. I was like, what? See, that's, that, that's, that's what I was asking. Not so much the look, but just, like, the extra features. Because we, 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 if you listen, you can hear a mechanical whirring when the eyes uh, focus. And, I mean, yeah, yeah I, I don't want too many extra features, and what I don't want, what I absolutely do not want, I don't want it to be revealed that Tony made the suit. Because that takes away from Spider-Man. I feel like if Tony just gives him this stuff, it just, like, just doesn't feel right. I just hope they, I, I, they, they don't do what, thankfully, none of the other suits have done so far, and have that stupid armpit webbing under the arms. I always thought that was... <laughs> the flying, the flying even, squirrel webbing? <laughs> yeah! Like, even in the comics, I thought that was just dumb as hell. Yeah, it really didn't serve any purpose whatsoever. I don't. I, I'm not even a Todd McFarlane thing because I know he started it. Oh no, that that was that that's been around since that was around at the beginning. Well, he had it for well, but the Todd one just I felt like it was more, I don't know, more noticeable when he did it. Maybe because he made it ragged looking. It, everything was more noticeable when Todd McFarlane <laughs> drew it. 
because that's the way Todd McFarlane draws. He starts and then he doesn't know when to stop. Right. Someone is Stanley's got to come and go. Todd, Todd, no, you, you need to stop. It's finished. Let it go. Walk away. It belongs to the ages. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. Uh, next question here, also from the email, comes from Charlie, and it is for me. And uh, he asks, what uh, long-forgotten video game uh, character do I think uh, deserves a comeback? And uh, my immediate answer to any question of this type is always going to be Earthworm Jim. Uh, I remember growing up, the Earthworm Jim video games, I remember the cartoon. I still have one of the, the Playmates action figures uh, from way back in the day, although the, the, it, 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 the, the paint has started to come off, which kind of saddens me. But uh, Earthworm Jim was, I think, one of the... I think I think the the biggest problem with Earthworm Jim coming back now is uh, he was very much a product of his time. You know, the '90s were a very experimental age uh, for video games, where you you know you could get away with having sort of an off the wall cartoony protagonist like that. And nowadays, in this modern era of like you know grim and dark modern war shooters, I don't think that Earth I think I think Earthworm Jim would have a hard time finding an audience, except in the people who remember him uh, from the past. But I'm always up for some more Earthworm Jim goodness, especially if it's a, if it's a side-scrolling platformer. Please don't give us another, you know, 3D Mario 64s game like Earthworm Jim 3D. Um, there was talk that they were going to remake Earthworm Jim for the PSP a few years ago, but that fell through. So the last last time Earthworm Jim showed up was actually in an HD facelift version of the first game that they put out on Xbox Live, uh, which I have, and it is awesome. Um, but I'd really like to see Earthworm Jim come back from the island of, of, of misfit game characters. I think it's funny you could sort of mention that he might not be able to find an audience. I feel like every time when something sort of, at least now, when something breaks the mold of the uh, Call of Duties or Modern Warfare stuff, it seems to get more attention. I don't know if that equals sales, but it gets more attention. Well, see, the thing is, is what made Earthworm Jim so memorable wasn't his game, wasn't the gameplay of the games. I mean... You know, yeah, the the mechanics were were polished to a sheen, but it was at its heart, it was a bog standard platformer. What made Earthworm Jim so memorable was the sense of humor surrounding the game. And we're talking about a game about an earthworm who becomes a superhero because a radioactive supersuit falls on him from out of the sky. And in the first level, you catapult a cow into the stratosphere. I mean, this is the kind of whacked out humor that you saw everywhere in the '90s because that's what you had to do to distinguish yourself. And nowadays, I think Earthworm Jim would have a, a, a difficult time, you know, standing out in the crowd now that we have so many different, you know, styles of games and so many different, you know, ways to, to play games nowadays. I think he'd have a very difficult time distinguishing himself with just that sense of humor nowadays. Hmm, possibly. And uh, the third question here comes from Ray, and it also comes from the email, and he asks Brian... There seems to be a dissonance between the DC movies and DC television. Shows like Arrow, The Flash, and Supergirl tend to get really good reviews and do really well, while the movies so far have been very subpar. Do you think this is a case of the, of the two departments not coordinating like Marvel does with its films and movies? A little bit of that. Um, I know that the movies themselves are kind of done uh, more with Warner Brothers. They have, sort of have way all like the control and final say over everything. So you've got to come a lot of executives and maybe people who don't understand the the source material or the characters themselves sort of making the decisions. While somehow in some way a coup happened in the TV side and a bunch of the D- DC like people snuck into it, going, "All right, we're going to make our shows this way." And so you kind of see this weird opposite. Um, but at the same time, I don't know, like, the comparison between the Marvel TV and the Marvel movies and DC TV and the DC movies is 
is interesting because let's the good example is you look at you know the Marvel movies and how they're presented, and then you look at say their Netflix series like Jessica Jones and Daredevil, like super dark series. Like DC movies tend to be called you know the dark, gritty, and stuff like that, and their shows are a bit more lighthearted. Well, maybe except for Arrow. Um, and then you kind of go the, the Marvels, like okay, their movies are a little bit lighthearted, but then you look at their Netflix TV shows, and like Jesus Christ, you know. Like, <laughs> You know, it's it's a weird thing that the that the world works, and I'm saying that a lot, especially because I finished up Daredevil season two, which I know I'm not going to say anything spoilers, but there's some things happening in that season. I was just like, holy shit, are we sure this takes place in the same universe as the Avengers? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's something that, that that I still haven't finished season one of Daredevil, but that's something that I've, I I I kind of like about it is that you know it pays lip service to the fact that it's set in the same world, but it doesn't define itself by that. Like the only the only real references that I can think of to the, the greater Marvel universes, they just make this one throwaway reference to alien death and destruction, and, and then that's it. That's, yeah, that's pretty much it. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Speaking of Daredevil, we got a, a new question here. This one uh, comes from Mary in the email, and this arrived just the other day, and she asked me uh, what I think about the possibility of a... Uh, about the, there, There's apparently an announcement made that they're thinking about doing a Punisher spinoff uh, to Daredevil. And uh, I, I had to say, I haven't, like I said, I haven't seen Daredevil Season 2. Uh, so I can't speak to his chops as the Punisher, uh, because as of right now, Thomas Jane is still the gold standard to me. But, uh, you know, if he, if he does the character well, as well as I've heard, then I would be very excited to see uh, a new Punisher series. Though, I have, to, I have to correct that. Last I heard is that there's been no plans for a spinoff. Um, but that doesn't mean they're not talking about it. But the last I heard, there's no there's no official plans. Yeah, the announcement. Yeah, the announcement that I read, there was no official plans, but they were kind of like, you know, maybe it would be cool to do this. So, but uh, yeah, I'd be I would be very excited for a, a Punisher spinoff. So anyway, that's all the Ask a Geek questions that we have for this week. Thank you, as always, for sending them in. And uh, as always, you can send them to us through the email at drgonzo at nerdofthethirdpower.com. Or you can drop them on our Facebook page if you follow us there. We have a permanent Ask a Geek thread on our Facebook page. So you can we're always pulling questions from there as well. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and get those questions in. We love hearing from you guys. And uh, who knows, maybe your question will be read on the air. All right, and uh, we're going to forego headlines and musical break this week to jump right into our discussion topic, which is Batman v Superman. Uh, probably the, the, maybe not the most anticipated geek movie of the year, but certainly the most talked about, aside from maybe uh, Deadpool. I don't know, it might, might be tied with Deadpool for most talked about. But uh, I can tell you there has been a just a great split since this movie was released between the critics and uh, and the fans, and there's even been a split within the fans, it's become a very polarizing film. You either love it or you hate it, and uh, there's been very little middle ground. So we're going to go ahead and take a look at this film and uh, see why that went down of uh, the plot of Batman v Superman, as if for the six people out there who don't know this story. Well, there's actually probably even more than that. Um, the, the way to try to do the plot here is I'm going to try to break it up because you kind of have, it's a very strangely put together film. Um, so you sort of have what Batman's doing, what Superman is doing, what Lois Lane is doing, and what Lex Luthor is doing. And they try to sort of combine them in the third act. It doesn't quite work out. So what Superman is doing is that Superman, um, at this time, it's been a while since uh, uh, Man of Steel. He's doing his Superman thing. 
And he seems to have some sort of, as Clark can, some sort of issues with Batman, more of like civil liberties, and he doesn't like how things are going. And he's, he's just, at this time, he's, he's trying to just do what he can to be Superman. You see a few things of him like saving uh, some, uh, I know a person in Mexico, and then he's pulling his ship and he saves a rocket from exploding. So you see him kind of in these very small snippets doing Superman stuff. Then you have Batman. The course of Batman's story is that. It starts out like he doesn't really have anything to do with Superman. He's on his own little quest to get stuff done from uh, the, the mobsters that are in Gotham. That eventually leads him to LexCorp. But it turns out that's all a ruse. The one thing he was doing is to try to find this great chunk of kryptonite that was found in the Indian Ocean uh, from the other ship from the Man of Steel. And he wants to get that kryptonite because he doesn't trust Superman for reasons we're not really sure about. Other than the fact that maybe he doesn't trust Superman because he saw what happened at the end of Man of Steel, and it's hard to trust a guy that you know just helped destroy a you know good portion of a city. Then you have Le- Lois Lane, who kind of runs around trying to figure out this whole "quote unquote" conspiracy from the first part of the movie. The first see her in the desert trying to get an interview with a terrorist um, leader, but things go wrong. Guys start killing people, but Superman saves her. By pile driving a terrorist through six walls. Eh. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Um. Then you have Lex's story, and this is even a little bit more confusing. So Lex's story is he's trying to hook up with the government, so because he, he's the one that found the big kryptonite, so he wants to be brought into the states. While he's being brought into the states, he also sort of convinces some of the government to let him into the crashed. A uh, spaceship that's still in Metropolis at the moment. They get, a, I guess, his hands on alien technology. Zod's body, for various reasons. You learn throughout that he's the one sort of manipulating Batman and Superman to get into a fight. And from all this information, he eventually creates Doomsday, leading to the big fight at the end. Um, I guess I could throw in, and also Wonder Woman's there. So uh, Wonder Woman's there, and Wonder Woman's there. She, we don't really know why she was there, but she she had the no, that's right. She was looking for a picture. Uh, that Lex had stole. That's why she was there. But she was very... She's not on the screen a lot, but we'll get into that a little bit later. If this sounds disjointed and weird, is because that's how the film kind of felt. Um, it felt like... The best way I could describe it, it felt like trying to remember a dream. Because sometimes you don't remember all what happens in a dream or what you, know, what you say, what you do, or anything like that. You kind of remember parts of it. And everything about this film sort of rem- reminds me of that. You like you're trying to follow a dream or anything. It's it just feels weird. It feels disjointed at places. There's stuff obviously missing, and stuff that could have also have been cut. I feel um, my biggest problem with the film, since we're moving on to our general thoughts, my biggest problem with the film is uh, the fact that the motivations of the characters are either not explained or the explanation that we are given is nonsensical. Like, we have, we really have no idea why anybody is doing anything that they're doing in this film. Um, you know, Superman still, he's still kind of waffling around. Uh, Lex is after, is looking to destroy Superman because, I don't know, he just doesn't like him or something, Envy. Uh, Batman comes off as just needlessly paranoid. You know, the, the line that really eclipses that is when he's talking to Alfred, he says, if there's even a 1% chance that this man could go rogue, we have to take it as an absolute certainty and destroy him. Which, you know, wow, that escalated kind of quickly. 
But uh, it was actually kind of funny. I actually took a date to see this movie. Probably not the the, the best uh, choice I ever made. But uh, when we came out of the film, she was actually I was I was disappointed in the film, but I you know I wasn't like riled up about it. But like she was angry about it than I was. So she goes on this epic tirade uh, about again how the characters' motivations aren't explained, and I'm just listening to this and I'm biting my tongue, trying not to laugh because the thought that's going through my head is, "Wow, is this what everybody else heard when we did Pixels?" (laughs) Usually, it's whenever you go on your your rants uh, is probably what you just heard. Like she just she just turned the image on you. Because I know when, when, whenever you're like, and hey, we're going on a rant, I grab, you know, I grab a helmet. I kind of go under my desk for a while. I'm like, okay, it's almost over. It's almost over. <laughs> she, she did, she did kind of put a mirror up to me, but you know, hey, that's why I like her. But you know, like I said, the, 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 I found it very hard to care about why anybody was doing anything in this film because I didn't know why they were fucking doing it. Yeah, it, it that's the ambiguity of it, and that, and that, it, it doesn't completely bother me but what ha- what's happening here and this is where you get sort of some of the dis- uh, dissonance between critics and fans is that because it's so ambiguous and you don't know a lot of stuff fans I've noticed have been inserting reasons you know they've been trying to find not, not necessarily find reasons but bringing up reasons and a lot of the reasons you know come from the comic books um, so they're sort of filling in the gaps with what they know from the books. Yeah. So they're and and the and th- that's kind of cool. But the problem with it is that now we don't have we have a lot of different reasons for a lot of different interpretations. And you know the critics and and critics you know who do know these characters you know just are basing this movie and and their criticism of it just by what they saw. You know they're not adding into it or anything like that. They go we this is what we saw and we didn't like it. And you, that's where you're starting to get sort of a back and forth between them, because um, like I said, like it's a lot of a lot of dream sequences, a lot of very confusing items going on. You weren't sure exactly what it was, what was reality, what wasn't at times. Um, looking at the Kevin Costner scene, I'll, I'll admit though that, that surprised me. I didn't expect Kevin Costner to come back. Spoilers, but um. divide is sort of happening I no, I don't know if that makes it a better film or not that's that's up to whatever the interpretation you have okay so uh, I guess since we've discussed the, the the plot of the film let's uh, talk about the cast and uh, let's start with uh, probably the one that everybody was uh, the the was really fired up about and that's Ben Affleck as Batman and uh, here's where I have some nice things to say about the movie is that given the material that he had to work with I feel like Ben Affleck did really well I I do I did like what he did and if you remember when this this news broke on our show and if you don't remember please go I don't even remember what the episode was talked about whenever the news broke kind of look for the show in the same general area is I gave Ben the benefit of the doubt like Ben uh, had gone from a career and tumble and a career going nowhere to almost no career at all and then completely turned it around to become you know an award winning movie maker himself a director and a writer. So I was like, "All right, let's see what he can do." He's he's been humbled by Hollywood. Let's he went, see he went from G, he went from Gili to Argo. Yeah. So at at this point, I was like, "Let's just see what happens." And I liked what he did. I liked I liked his Bruce Wayne. I liked his Batman. They did feel they didn't feel completely different. Like some people do try to play him. It wasn't like the Christian Bale where, as I'm Bruce Wayne, I need to pretend I'm this uh per, like this completely different person, and then I'm Batman. Here was, like, I'm Bruce Wayne, and I'm also Batman. Like, it was sort of the same sort of character. 
Um, a, a little bit more subtly involved than, than Christian Bale's Batman, I felt. You know, you know what vibes I got from Ben Affleck, uh, from Ben Affleck's Batman? I almost kind of had flashbacks to Kevin Conroy's Batman from the Justice League cartoon. I mean, a little bit. Um, now, I know some people may get angry at that because the things that this Batman does, that Batman would never do. They are correct. But he at least seemed to be trying something a little bit different than his predecessors. Well, I, I, let's go ahead and address the elephant in the room, which is uh, the, the collateral damage issue. Batman seems to be the, at, the, at the forefront of racking up the butcher's bill this time around. Uh, most notably in the car chase scene where he's blowing up cars and flipping them over and driving through buildings without seeming a, a care in the world as to the collateral damage, which I thought was a little uncomfortable. I felt a little uncomfortable watching that because, again, you know, that's one of the core bit, traits about Batman is he will not kill. And, you know... It's, it's one of those weird things because it's... When when I heard it before I went to the film, I was kind of like, well, what's going on? And then the car chase scene you were talking about, which, you know, in terms of special effects, yeah, it was really good. But it felt like... Like, if you ever watched the first couple Tim Burton films, um, Batman actually has, like, a kind of a body count in those films. only But only, like, one actual, I would call a straight-up murder when he drops dynamite, in, I think, in a guy's in a pants and, like, throws him off screen and he explodes. Um... I think it might have been Batman Returns. So, to me, when I was thinking, I was like, well, is it going to be the same thing like that? And it is and it isn't. Like, there is there is sort of the, like, at first it seemed like it was going in that direction. And then uh, it just takes it to that extreme. The idea that he doesn't necessarily care about bad guys and then their lives to the point of going, like, all out with it. And you go, okay, this is probably not exactly a good uh, representation of this character. You sort of have combined Dark Knight Returns, Tim Burton, but instead of bringing in the moral code of the characters, you're kind of making him more, dare I say, Punisher-esque, you know? Yeah. Which, which you know, is not the character. Punisher is a character before, for the reasons. this That's not Batman. Um... But now you brought but, up, you, oh, yeah, you brought, we were talking before the show, and you brought up something that I hadn't even considered before, and that was the sort of what 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 we kind of call behind the scenes the dark side clause, where you know that that he Batman perceives a threat to be so great that he is willing to break that code to to deal with that. So, do you think that that's sort of in a, in, a, in appliance here with him and Superman? That's the thing with this. Like, I think this Batman was actually. Physically and mentally scared of Superman. Um, especially during the end of that chase scene where Superman's standing in the middle of the road. Like, Batman has a moment when it's very subtle acting where, like, his eyes go wide and looks like he's taking a deep breath. Like, you get scared. Like, and at, it, it's very rare for Batman to show his fear. He has fears. He's a human being. He has fears. But he tries not to show them. So in this film, it felt like he was... he he. It let slip about being fearful about him, especially also towards the end when uh, he's getting ready to battle Superman and Superman calls him Bruce. He kind of takes like a quick step back about it, like, holy crap, you, f- you figured out who I was. Which wasn't, truth be told, isn't really hard, but, you know, comic book plots, whatever. So there is a little bit of that, that may, he, he might have gone to the extreme or he was going that extreme anyway. Like, 
the speech he had with Alfred, or the Al- Alfred speech beforehand, that the idea of good men going cruel, like maybe when Superman started showing up, Batman started taking this weird dark path, and like we're seeing sort of the uh, the antithesis of that. And but we don't get to see sort of the resolution of oh my god, I have gone too far uh, situation. Like that would be the the closing arc of, of a storyline like that. And we didn't see the beginning of that. So we sort of have to assume this is what Batman has always done. Well, you know, At least in this universe. We, we, we've seen hints at the beginning. Because remember, there is that one shot of the Robin suit with the ha-ha jokes on you uh, spray painted on it. Which I, 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 I took that as a very clear indication that uh, Tim Drake was a, was a thing in this. Uh, not Tim Drake. What's his name? Jason Todd was, uh, was a Robin in this continuity. There was, yeah, obviously there was a Robin. And obviously that Robin no longer exists. We don't know why. We can assume we assume that the Joker is involved, but we don't know for sure because we never really got that story, if you will. So we sort of have to assume that perhaps this there has been things leading up to Batman going this darker path in this film, but it's too amb- it's too vague for us to say anything. Um, and, and it was another thing like. Like other weird things he brought because like like I said went back and forth so when like he first goes into there's a scene where he goes into the warehouse you'll see it in the trailers when he's taking guys down doesn't fire a single shot like doesn't fire a gun or anything doesn't do anything he actually disables all their guns like so you see this Batman you're like ah it's Batman Batman I know Arkham City kind of uh, like fighting style but has the you know little Batman animated series he's taking the guns out before they can use them but then later on, he he helps and kills one of the bad guys off with another bad guy holding a machine gun. And you go, oh, you were close. Like now, I don't feel like something happened again. That dissonance just you know happened once again. You know where like you got you got one part right, but then you went to the extreme at the very end. Yeah. So okay, so let's let's talk about the other uh, elephant in the room, and that's uh, the the villains. And uh, before we go on to to Lex Luthor, let me just say. Uh, Zod in this movie, Michael that Michael Shannon, easiest money he's ever made, hands down. <laughs> what do you need me to do? Well, I need you to look dead, and not move. Done. <laughs> <laughs> easiest twenty mil ever. <laughs> but yeah, so so what I find interesting is with Lex though is Lex is the other casting people didn't like uh, when he was first announced of Jesse Eisenberg. I'm, I think I'm saying the name right. Yeah, and unfortunately, I feel like the critics. We're right this time around. Um, I was not really enthused with his performance as Lex Luthor. He didn't really act like Lex Luthor. He was acting something else entirely. I knew there was viral marketing going around saying, oh, this is Lex Jr., Alexander Luthor, which might make a little bit more sense, but since that was never brought up in the film, we can only assume this is, you know, Lex Luthor. Yeah. Let's see, now I have very. I, I, I'm gonna just put all my cards on the table. I read. I have read very few Superman comics in my time, and I've had very little exposure to to the Superman uh, mythos directly. Um, the only real exposures I've had were, uh, of course, the Superman animated series and the Justice League cartoon, and a few odd comics here and there, and uh, some of the animated films. And in all those continuities, you know, the the thing that struck me about Lex was he was always very calm, very cool, and he was always planning. You could all you could always look at his at his in his eyes and see sort of the wheels turning. Like he was always, you know, two or three steps ahead. 
you know, and he never really lost control. This Lex Luthor seemed to swing back and forth between a sociopathic loon and a petulant child. Um, he did have some shining moments. The the moment in the in the the gallery where he's he's doing the the Paul Revere thing. The red capes are coming. The red capes are coming, and he's drumming his fingers on the desk. That was a really cool. That was a really cool moment. That was a really scary moment for uh, for him. But um, other than that, like I said, he just he was all over the place, and I, I I couldn't really get a bead on not just his motivations, but just like you know, is is he just is he a brat? Is he insane? What's going on here? And again, that goes back to the plot and just the script work just being just way so vague is that it, it feels like something's going on with him, right? It feels like something's happening, but we don't know what, and we're not really told or shown what, you know, maybe he was getting, cause maybe the reason he was kind of getting, uh, like trying to get these two heroes to take each other out is because he had a bigger plan involved and they could stop him. So let's get him out of the way now. But what was that bigger plan? Doomsday? Uh, I don't know. Monster of the Week? I don't think that was the plan. Like, so you just... And he was and he was eccentric, you know? He was like, play him as the most eccentric person you can possibly play him. And you don't feel anything towards him. And you just, you're, you, you're more... Not embarrassed, but just... I almost, confused. Confused, yeah, by what he's doing and saying and why he wants to say and do it. Um, I mean, obviously he wants to frame Superman for stuff. And he did it. He did it with the Senate, uh, that Senate hearing scene. Um, by the way, actually, it made me jump out of my chair a little bit. I was not expecting uh, that to happen. Um, if you don't know what's happening, he's uh, he helps one of the characters in, that got injured from Man of Steel. Um, that everyone thought he was supposed to be Metallo, and I was like, he's not going to be Metallo. And he gives him like a wheelchair. Says he needs, you know, he, he's going to speak in front of this uh, conference. That's I'm guessing this meta this Superman conferences like is. Can we keep him in check and kind of stuff like that? It turns out Lex plants a bomb in it and it goes off, and like it shocks me completely. It shocked me completely, not in the sense, in both the sense of storyline because I didn't see it coming. It was actually a genuinely shocking moment, uh, but also my theater was really loud, <laughs> and so huge explosion and went Jesus Christ. <laughs> and you and you'd made the mistake of sitting next to the speaker. <laughs> I wouldn't. No, that's the thing. I wasn't. I wasn't next to the speaker that that time. There's times that it has happened, but not that time. But it was just the moment where I was like, "Oh God!" Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like I said, it's just he felt like a petulant kid throughout most of the film, and not the the the, the devious uh, super genius that I I remember him being. Yeah, and it, and it, it felt like I, I don't mind him being if they want to go the mad scientist route. I don't mind it because you know Lex has been a mad quote quote mad scientist before. But they just sort of went way too eccentric with him, and it just just didn't bring a lot uh, to the character in itself, and that's that's that sucks, you know. Because it's, but you know, whatever. We kind of move on. We didn't really care. We wanted to care about. We only cared about Batman and Superman, I guess. And uh, the other newcomer, Wonder Woman, who uh, played was played by Gal Gadot in this film, and uh, although she didn't really get a whole lot of uh, screen time, she definitely stole the show in the third act. Yeah, she did. I, I, I actually sort of enjoyed her work. Again, like we, she was. I wouldn't call it like the Black Widow from Iron Man Two, uh, like because she was because uh, Scarlett Johansson was in the film for a while, but it definitely had the same thing of like I'm going to introduce this character and she's going to be really important later on. She has her own movie coming out next year. Wink and nudge. 
but I liked what she did. I liked. I didn't. I wish I knew more about the story she was going through because the plot was she was there to get a picture of her that was taken back in 1918. Um, we don't know why she wanted the picture. I'm assuming she wanted the picture because she didn't want. She may have built a life, and that was going to possibly blackmail her into revealing, "Hey, I've been around." For a long time, and start asking really important questions that she, maybe she doesn't want to answer at the time. But she, I think every scene she was in, she was the most inter- one of the most interesting characters in there. And I'm glad she kept her uh, her accent because she's from uh, she's oh, she's from uh, Israel, maybe I think something like the, that. The, the actress is from Israel, but yeah. One Roman herself is from Greece. Well, she's but... from well, she's from Paradise Island or Themyscira. Uh, but she kept that but she, by keeping her accent because she's she's been in, I have her from I see her in the uh, Fast and Furious movies and she tries to Americanize herself in those movies. But she kept it sounded like she kept her real accent, which is actually kind of neat. I didn't expect that, but I sort of appreciate it for because I like a lot of people forget that Wonder Woman is not from you know the USA or anything like that. She's from a different country, so she might have a slight accent. So I appreciated that. It's the little things in life you have to uh, you have to appreciate. <laughs> okay, so that's all the newcomers. So let's talk about some of the uh, the returning cast members. I know that you were uh, pretty excited about uh, Perry White. Oh my God! So Lawrence Fishburne can be the can be Perry White forever, forever. I I don't care if they reboot this film in two years. You bring him back as Perry. He has been the best Perry White I've ever seen. Like everything about him, it was great. The be- my best my there's two actors actually two moments I really liked him was when he's talking to Clark, and Clark is sort of talking about Batman being out of control, or what Clark thinks Batman is being out of control. And he just looks at Clark going, Ah, Crime Wave in Gotham. Subtext. Water is wet. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, that's, like, that's like the best reaction to anything about Gotham, especially like a crime or anything can happen in Gotham. Um, the, other, the other great moment, I think, was um, he's, he's yelling at Kent. He's like, Kent! Kent! And he's not at the desk. He's off being Superman. He goes, where does he go? Like, just... <laughs> <laughs> like, I like, I like the idea of, like, he... This has happened a couple times, so you can just... He's just frustrated with it at this point. Like, <laughs> like I could fire him, but he, he sometimes does good work. Where does he go? You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, Lawrence Fishburne's Perry White was a big surprise. Um, oh, one of the other newcomers that I forgot to to, to bring up, uh, Jeremy Irons is Alfred. Uh, oh yeah, I absolutely loved his performance, and I love that he did uh, he, he, that he did he did something different with Alfred that I've never seen done on screen before, which is like he won't take any of Batman's shit. Like all the Alfreds that we've seen on screen before, you know, Michael Caine, uh, the 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 I can't remember his name, the guy who did it for the animated series and the Batman. Uh, you know, they're all very kind of, you know, the the gentleman's gentleman, you know, the, the, the servile butler. This Alfred just doesn't give a fuck. He's like, you don't, don't you get uppity with me, young man. I used to change your diapers. Yeah, he also, I think, should have been way more the voice of reason in the movie. Like, there was that moment when he figures out uh, Batman was actually go- not going after necessarily a mobster, but something else entirely. And then when he had that line of, like, I, we have to make sure... Um, like I have to destroy him if he goes bad or anything like that. And Jeremy Irons just looks and goes, "He's not your enemy. You're starting a war you can't win." You know, just not even, not because like it's 
because Superman at that time had no weaknesses in terms of the knowledge. They think he might have something with kryptonite. They don't really know. But like he's just, he's just going like, this is a bad decision. You're going down a terrible route. You know, I wish they kind of pushed that more into the film. Now, a character that I was sort of disappointed with was uh, Lois Lane, who I felt like she just kind of got in the way a lot. She didn't have anything to... Outside of the first scene, she didn't have anything to do. And really, I felt like they just threw a subplot with her just to have her. Just to eventually get her to the... to eventually get her to the right places to make the get some lines in and just yeah cuz she didn't didn't really need to be there for most of the film um i'm not saying i should think they should shaft lois no lois is a great character but don't just have her be like a plot device or something you know so uh we've got a we've got about 20 minutes left here so let's uh move on from the cast and talk about uh cinematography and presentation and I gotta say, there were some really neat touches with the camera work in this film. Uh, the one that stands out the most to me is uh, the scene where it flashes back to uh, to Thomas and Martha Wayne's murder, and the gunman has the gun pressed against Martha Wayne's head, and her pearl necklace is wrapped around the slide of the gun, and it breaks when the gun goes off. That's straight out of Dark Knight Returns. And I absolutely loved that they did that. And I'm wondering how many other shots like that were in the film that I didn't see because I, I'm, I'm not all that familiar with the comics material. Possibly during the final battle, because the final battle is definitely set up uh, similar, not exactly like the Dark Knight Returns fight. Um, because he has the big armor on him and they're going blow for blow at one point. Uh, there's There's some things that don't make it in and... Uh, there's a lot of different stuff, and I'm one of the few people who actually sort of enjoyed the final battle uh, between Doomsday and the Trinity, uh, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, because it, I mean I understand people don't like the color palette of the film. That makes sense to me. It's too dark. I understand people may not like certain aspects of like their costumes. Makes perfect sense. It is a departure from a lot of stuff they usually had in the past. But in terms of actually action work, I really did enjoy it. People, I know someone was like, well, it looks like a cartoon. It looks campy. It doesn't look right. And I'm like, you mean kind of looks like a comic book? You know, like that's... <laughs> see, <laughs> see when, when Doomsday first appeared, my the first thing, the thing that kept running through my head was Sean Bean and Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> they have a cave troll. <laughs> yeah, and I was wondering exactly where they were going to go with it. But as the film went on, because the way Doomsday works is that when he gets, not necessarily hurt, but his the, the bones that you see on him... Like, they got there. They had to grow there from from being, I guess, beat up. Uh, and so it, he didn't start out looking like that, but he eventually looked like that. And in the film, they were trying to portray that. Because every time he got a certain amount of energy, he had a discharge, and then the bones were growing on him. So I, I understand, like, the original aspect. We saw him in the trailer. People were like, uh, he looks like a cave troll, and or he looks like abomination. But he was eventually working his way to becoming the Doomsday and then got stabbed in the chest with a kryptonite spear. <laughs> <laughs> really, that's how that happens. It's a spoiler. Um, <laughs> okay. But he, he, he gets some revenge because he stabs uh, he stabs Superman uh, in the heart. And, and spoiler, Superman dies. But he's not really dead. Because there's a Justice League movie coming out. Now, I kind of want to go back to, to talk about how, how disjointed the film feels. And I mentioned that there were some things that could have been cut. And one of the things that I felt could have been uh, trimmed back was there are just way too many damn dream sequences in this film. There were. And, 
and it, it it's like you know it's it felt like anytime the movie got a good pace going and a good and, and a good uh, a good you know storyline going it would suddenly make this left turn into a dream sequence that comes completely out of nowhere like one second we're at we're, we're following Bruce Wayne at a party at Lex Luthor's place and then the next suddenly we're in this like post apocalyptic you know fallout future where Batman's leading a militia Superman's apparently become Hitler uh, and uh, and there's some kind of alien invasion going on at the same time, and that this is something I want to ask you about. Someone said that the 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 flying alien creatures that show up at the end of that dream sequences are Darkseid's foot soldiers. Is that true? Yes, they are parademons. Um, it's a very quick shot after he does the the fight uh, that in that in the sand um, as they're flying in and I guess and grabbing people. Uh, right before he goes unconscious, one of the thing, one of the one of the parademons comes up behind him to do it, and you get like a, a few frames, a clear shot of what they look like. And if you, if I wish I had a frame picture for it, you, I'm not sure if people have it on the on the internet yet. Of course they do; it's the internet. But like you could see him, and you probably could make a comparison. It's like, oh, that's a parademon. Now, being a guy who's read Superman and comic books, um, and I saw that, I was like, oh, parademon. You know, like I kind of got a little excited. Um, but there were a lot of dream sequences and a lot of sort of like weird dreamy moments. Um, I think we, we we did a count, right? Was it like six, five, four? Uh, it was five, possibly six, if we count the the, the flash coming in from the future sequence, right? Because we weren't sure because that one's like, is that a is that a premonition? Is that you know, he, is he actually there? We didn't really we weren't really sure. And yeah, and that and that and and that's why I called this film. It feels like you're getting a dream. Because not only are you getting a dream, you got dreams within a dream, and it's just one of those things where, like, yeah, you probably could cut those or shorten them or anything like that. Um, you might have also been able to cut uh, the big Iron Man two slash Age of Ultron email scene where uh, he does Batman sends the picture, the Wonder Woman's like, "Who are you?" and there's it literally the film could have stopped and went coming soon to a theater near you, The Flash. Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and Cyborg. Wink. Like, that's what that scene felt like to me. <laughs> and I criticized Age of Ultron from do- for doing that, where, like, the movie stops to preview shit that's going to happen in the future. Same thing happens here, but maybe to a little bit m- more obvious attempt. And the, 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 that's kind of what really contributes to the film feeling so disjointed is it feels like it's trying to do too much at once in addition to trying to tell its own story it's also trying to set up all these dominoes for future movies whereas you know i hate to make the comparison with the marvel films but the marvel films did the exact opposite you had each film telling its own story and then setting up one little domino and then along comes avengers kicking them all over this movie is just like okay got to put down all the stuff got to set up this got to set up cyborg got to set up Got to set up the Flash. Got to set up Aquaman. Got to set up Wonder Woman. Got to set up possibly Dark Side. Got to set up all this stuff. And the the you know we're all over here in the audience going, um, excuse me, we're we're still here. Can we have a story too? They're like eventually. I was like, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> Wait, we not have one now? Oh dear, I do not want to see the internet after this. <laughs> so it, it felt like the film was just trying to do too much at once. I feel like if they cut a lot of that setup. And just let the film let the film story stand on its own. It it might not have been excellent, but it would have been better than it was. I feel. 
there there is something. I know a lot of people going like, well, this feel this feels rushed. They're trying to catch up, and they are. They're not the only ones too. For God's sakes, everyone's trying to catch up to Marvel now. There are everyone's trying to make their own uh, cinematic universe uh, now. Like that's a thing that can happen. So it's in. It's just one of those things, and like I don't, I wouldn't have minded as much because I know you know obviously we're going to have you know Batman Superman first. Um, and there might not be confidence in these other characters, which is sad because I'm actually looking forward for the Aquaman movie because I am an Aquaman fan and I kind of like the actor they got for him. Yes, he doesn't, he's not the traditional blonde hair, uh, Aquaman, but that does, that doesn't matter. I want to always want to see what they can do next. And I do, and that's the thing I like they're trying to do. They are trying to be different, but it's a different extreme, you know? Uh, and I will admit there are they're they're trying to break from the as doom and gloom stuff every so often. And there was a few jokes in this film. They didn't all work. Some did, but so there is this you know someone's at least in the back of the room saying, at least say have someone say something kind of funny uh, every so often. You know, n- not necessarily the quipping that we have in Marvel Universe yet, but at least someone says something kind of funny. It's yeah, not feel- always working though. See, I feel the exact opposite. I found this film to be very cynical and very uh, negative in general as to its outlook, and I I didn't particularly care for that. And and now you mentioned that you, as we were talking before the show, you mentioned that they, that this sort of cynicism kind of contributes a bit to the the divide between the critics and the fans. Yeah. So okay. So this is something that's actually sort of bothered me greatly with the criticism of the movie, and it's actually been in my head since I uh, left the draft house. Hashtag not an ad. Um, something just didn't feel right that this was another film that had to be the film that launched a thousand think pieces, or even labeling it the worst thing ever. I understand there's always an opinion, and I've had to defend a lot of, a lot of movies that people thought were complete, you know, utter shit. Um, that I happen to really enjoy. And even on this show, we have discussed some terrible films. Um, off the top of my head, the shows that, the movies that we have discussed on this show that I actually think are worse than this one is Battleship, Kick-Ass 2, Pixels, The New Fantastic Four. Excuse me, when did you go see Pixels? Because as I recall, I had to suffer through that stink burger alone, motherfucker. Well, at work, someone... Uh, got it on their phone i guess through amazon or something and they're like hey look at this i'm like oh what's this it's pixels oh oh i'm gonna leave now (laughs) so i left the break room in silence so i i didn't see all of it i only saw a couple scenes and i kind of figured i I know what gonzo was talking about now but i don't know i kept asking why people were so hell-bent to take this film on and I kind of thought about it a little bit more. I probably lost a lot of sleep on it. So I had to kind of go and look at the characters themselves of Batman and Superman. You know, what they mean to people, what they mean to our world. So, you know, you have to look to Superman first. And you can kind of go back to my man, our Man of Steel slash Superman discussion. Uh, how I feel and how I feel like who Superman is or what he's at least become. Because he is, in fact, an icon now. He's more than just a character in a book. Um, he's supposed to be the reflection of what's best of the best people in the world. What we should strive to be in the world. And sort of got I got stuck on that word reflection. You know, he's a reflection of what's supposed to be the best. And at the time, the best has always sort of evolved and changed. 
this Max Fleischer shorts, they were, you know, more adventure style, fighting mad scientists, but he was then also fighting the Japanese because he was uh, taking apart, because it, it was made during World War II, and we sort of forget that. You know, they, he had propaganda pieces. We sort of look back on it now going, well, maybe we shouldn't have done that, but you can't just take it away. It's history. It's there. It happened. And you kind of look at the first set of Superman movies with Christopher Reeves, and, you know, Americana was kind of running wild. And he was saving the day with a wink and a nod, fighting for truth, justice, and the American way. But he was really fighting, you know, Lex most of those movies. He fought Zod and company once, and he fought Nuclear Man a little bit later on. But there was always just a bit more down-to-earth. It wasn't full comic book yet. Then you have Superman Returns, with the keyword in there, Returns. And it was during the time we were trying to, I guess, return to those, those roots. Uh, 80s nostalgia was running around for a while, and we, we wanted to go back to this great feeling, but, you know, it didn't quite work out with the modern audiences. The modern audience was expecting something new. And so, you kind of forced to look, look around at the world now, and the world just seems darker than it was. People seem harsh, mean, and less caring. Verbal fights break out around social issues, politi- political issues, yes, I use the P word. Attacks and harassment almost seem commonplace in the world. Tabloid reporting is taking place of journalism and clickbait, you know? It's, and I think, in a way, he almost, Suman almost sort of reflects this as well. He is cynical. He's, he's waffling. He doesn't know what good is anymore. You know, we might not know what technically good is anymore. So do you think maybe that the, 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 the sort of back and forth between Superman and Batman in this film is kind of a reflection of this sort of this sort of outrage culture that we've that we fostered where, you know, everybody's got a side and it doesn't matter, you know, what what the discussion is. We don't even want a discussion or debate. We just want to be right no matter what. There there is a little bit of that and this is this is and this might be more subconscious. I don't think this is what the film was trying to say. Because look at look at Batman. Batman doesn't in this film you know, when you think about Batman, you think about the former Batmans, you think about justice, you know, um, he was wronged, his parents were murdered uh, in front of him, uh, and he wanted, he wants to make a world where that doesn't happen anymore, but he's sort of willing to use fear to, and, and intimidation to get to that point, which, you know, almost nowadays seems like a taboo. And here in this one, you know, he's going out to the complete extreme, and he doesn't want to have a discussion. He doesn't want to talk about it. It is, I am, you know, it is. I am right. I have to take, I have to destroy him. I have to take him on. And, and at, the, at the end scene, uh, what's weird is that the films make it seem like these guys just hate each other and want to fight. The end scene fight begins with Superman going, look, I was wrong. Um, some bad stuff is happening. I didn't realize what I was doing. We gotta stop this. And Batman's like, no, fuck you. I have to be right. I have to get rid of you. Like, he doesn't even want to hear what Superman has to say. And only does it when he invokes, uh, both Superman invokes his mother and, ironically, uh, uh, Batman's mother's name, Martha, towards the end of the fight, that he kind of freaks out a bit. You know, he's like, why did you say that? Um, very weird way to end the fight. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna... Uh, I'm not going to say, like, oh, that was a great scene. It was more like, oh, that's how they're going to end it? Oh, oh okay. Um, <laughs> Doomsday! All right, okay, we're at Doomsday now. <laughs> but, like, that's, 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 I, I think this film and the characters turned a mirror to people, and they got disgusted by what they saw. They got disgusted 
by kind of what the world is being turned into, or at least what our world has turned these characters into. But at the same time, I don't think they got that point. Like, so they're disgusted. Like, well, what can we do? Let's go after the writers. Let's go after the directors. Let us blame them for this abomination. But it's like, but what about us? You know, maybe we should try to be better. Maybe we should, instead of, you know, let's go back to the journalism stuff. Maybe instead of telling us how terrible we are, how terrible the world is, we find those little nuggets of hope and joy and go, by the way, there's still some good out here. Like, I feel like that, like that, this, again, this is all subconscious. This doesn't, this doesn't make the movie any better. Uh, I don't know if it makes it any worse. The quality is what it is. But it was just something I couldn't get out of my head for a long period of time. I have no idea if this makes any sense whatsoever. Oh, no, I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. So, um, but we're kind of running a bit out of time here, so let's uh, start closing things up by giving our final general thoughts on the film. So, uh, Brian, why don't you go first? I think I am the only person in the world that is actually, actually in the middle. Like, I like some things, and I didn't like some things. And they, there's just enough of like and dislike that I'm just in the middle and went, well, it happened. There it is. We did it. This is the first time, you know, these two characters are on the film. Could have been done better? Yes. But, you know, it happened. It's there. It's at our feet. Okay. Uh, for me, like I said, uh, I was kind of disappointed with the film overall. Uh, it felt very disjointed, very rushed. I uh, felt like it was trying to do too many things at once. Certainly not the worst film I've ever seen, but it definitely could have been... There, there was definitely a lot of room for improvement. So, uh, yeah. And uh, so with that, this is the part of the show where we give our final ratings on the film. As always, our rating scale from best to worst is see it now, wait for matinee, wait for DVD, wait for cable, don't even bother, and Brian's rating, fuck this movie. So, Brian, what is your your final score for this film? Uh, I think I might disappoint people. I think a lot of people thought I was going to use my rating for this film. Sorry, guys, not this time. This is definitely not Kick-Ass 2. But at the same time, I... I know a lot of people probably are still curious about the film. I know the the negative reviews and negative reactions might have put them off. So even if you're a little bit curious, it's going to be have to wait for cable. You're going to have to wait for either you know free on TV or hell even cable's slowly dying. So maybe free on Amazon Prime or however they want to do it in the future. But it's it's not a I I can't justify anyone buying a ticket. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I said, it's not the worst film I've ever seen, but it's not all that great either. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the same thing. I'm gonna say wait for cable. So if you, if you, you know, you can get, you can get away with not seeing this movie immediately. And uh, you know, I'm sure it'll be out on, on DVD and, and Amazon Prime and on demand uh, before Suicide Squad comes out in August. So you know, you can, you can get away with waiting. So, and uh, with that, that's about all the time we have for Nerd to the Third Power this week. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. We'll see you next time. As always, I'm Dr. Gonzo. And I'm Brian. All right, we'll see you next week. Taka, play us out. <laughs>